New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Lisa Tracy. She's the author of Objects of Our Affection. Lisa, welcome to the cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. You know, many of us are dealing with aging parents or family members who have died or who are moving into care facilities or something. And we find ourselves suddenly having to deal with whole households of furniture, dishes, documents, photos, letters, and the like. What have you learned from having to deal with that? I've learned things on the practical level and things on the uh, intellectual level, Justine, and I think that there's so much downsizing that goes on in our culture, partly because, as you said, the baby boomers, our largest generation, are downsizing for themselves and sometimes helping their parents downsize and wondering what to do about the stuff the kids left when they went off to college or whatever. You know, we're sort of all caught in the middle of this, and just to make that all the more difficult, as I learned in my research... The average American, according to one study, moves 11 times in a lifetime. Now, some of us may be less, but some of us more. And every time we move, there's packing, and packing means downsizing and dealing with our stuff. We're a very nomadic culture. And according to one of the self-storage trade associations, Americans also spend a whopping $20 billion a year on storage. Now, this does mean we have a problem here. We're not letting go of the stuff. And part of my exploration in Objects of Our Affection was to try to figure out why. Why don't we just put it all on a flea market or something? Why don't we uh, just take it off to the, the thrift store? What is it that keeps us hanging on? And that was that's really my exploration in this book. There actually is a television mm-hmm. program about clutter. Hoarders. Hoarders, mm-hmm. that was it. And they are the people who have this to the point of an illness. But it's something that we all partake of to some extent in this culture, I think. And I think it's partly because we do move around. And whenever you're moving, you're sort of disrupted and it's hard to concentrate on really assessing your stuff and so forth. But I also do believe, and I think this is true of the hoarders, that we put some of our own personal value into our things. It's as if the thing represents me in a way. It says that I'm worth something because I have this thing. And it also is where we put our family stories, our memories. It can be a, it can be a reminder of where we came from in all those many moves. Well, isn't that really important, though? I mean, the stories that are imbued, let's say, in that armchair that mm-hmm. your grandmother used to rock you in exactly. or whatever. And, and as you and I have discussed, it's a comfort as well. If we're moving like this, and my family was an army family, and so they moved for generations. And you pointed out that to come to a strange new place, there's a comfort in having sort of, I think of it as the shell, you know, the crab has its little shell on it. There's comfort in having that shell with us or that camp that we can unfold that's our things that we remember. It's the continuity that things offer us. And so in the course of writing Objects of Our Affection, I explored one family, my own family, a military family, who were sort of the American nomads par excellence. They moved sometimes several times a year. 
And I thought about how their stories became infused in the things that my sister and I eventually, after our mother died, were faced with winnowing through, evaluating for actual market value and our own personal value and trying to weigh how much attachment we had versus what the object might be worth to someone else. And it's a whole process. It's exhausting mentally and emotionally to go through it. And I know a lot of people are nodding their heads as I say this because we, most of us maybe are going through this. But you can do it. And, and I do believe that the crux of the matter is to understand that the story is what really has the value. It's not to say the object doesn't have value if it's beautiful, if it's useful. I'm not saying you have to get rid of it. But I think we should assess our need to carry so much stuff with us and realize that it's really the story. And if the object doesn't have a real big, huge value beyond the story, then take the story out of the thing and Mm. feel as if you're not betraying anyone if you let go of the thing. There was one piece, the Washington chair, I think it was Mm -hmm. called. And uh, to show that this chair might have value, you wanted to see, well, maybe was it a chair that George Mm -hmm. Washington did own at one time or maybe even sat on? And that took you on a whole historical adventure. It did. It was amazing. This chair had always been called the George Washington chair, and it was notably fragile. It sat in a certain corner in the living room, and whenever Mrs. Q was coming to visit us, one of us girls, my sister or I, would be told to go sit in the the delicate George Washington chair until Mrs. Q had sat down elsewhere. she she, She was rather large. She was quite a hefty woman, yes. And so I knew that According to the family story, this chair had come from Philadelphia, where I was actually working at the time, and I knew the name of the man who supposedly had gotten it into the family, and he was contemporaneous with George Washington and Martha, who were living in Philadelphia at the time in the late 1700s, and so... I kept seeking and seeking, and I talked to people in Philadelphia, and I went to the Historical Society of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, and eventually one night I was uh, doing those kinds of Google searches with various combinations of words, and some combination of words that I did brought up that, in fact, George and Martha Washington had actually had an auction. They'd had a yard sale out on Market Street in Philadelphia in 1796, and this auction was advertising fine satin-bottomed chairs. And it's just possible, because this is an upholstered chair of that period, it's possible. Maybe George Washington did actually sit in it. Isn't that interesting? There was something else that you found, uh, the letters in a little box of your grandmother. This is your father's mother. And I put a whole different light, just one little... I'm mentioning this because as we go through our parents and our grandparents' papers, there might be just one little piece. It was a clipping Mm -hmm. that put a whole different light on the way you viewed her and her life. It's true. She was the grandmother who always came and visited us, and she was old and a little deaf. And I was a child, and I tended to sort of dismiss her as maybe not being very deep. And I had really dismissed this woman quite a long time ago. And as a result, we put quite a lot of her furniture into the auction because we cared less about it. And afterwards, I was one night not able to sleep and thought, well, I'll just sort through this pile of stuff. And I opened the box. It was a sandalwood keepsake box. And it was packed to the gill with letters that had been to her and from her, many family letters, all of them very interesting. But out of one tumbled 
a smaller envelope that had this little clipping in it. And it was literally a half an inch deep and maybe an inch wide. And it was a clipping that said that she and her sister had been seen out in society. And her sister was Miss Rose Wood, who was being courted by Lieutenant so-and-so. But this other lieutenant was quite fond of Miss Jeanne Wood. That's my grandmother. And then the clipping said, the Whilome Mrs. Bardy Schenk. Whilome means former or erstwhile. I looked it up in the dictionary. And this supported a family story that an aunt had told us that my sister and I had actually kind of dismissed because we thought if it was true, my mother would have told us that my grandmother had been married and her parents had annulled the marriage because they disapproved of the young man and had brought her back and had more or less made her marry in a double wedding ceremony the man who became my grandfather. And my grandparents had a long and devoted life with each other, but she had a whole story of heartbreak before that and of of, of shame and, and humiliation of being told that her opinion didn't matter and that she hadn't picked a suitable husband and all of that. And it just blew me away to realize that these family secrets for all of us can be lurking in the most tiny place. It's, uh, it's this little, tiny, little news article uh, that, that she kept. That she did keep. And that meant that it meant something to her, and no one else ever saw that, I think. She just put it away in her keepsake box. Isn't that amazing? And you also discovered that there was a child, too, mm-hmm. that no one ever talked about that died. It turned out that my father had had a sister who died when she was a baby. And I didn't even know this child existed until one day I asked my father about a picture on his bureau that I thought was him with his father when he was a baby. And he said, oh, that was my sister. And in the keepsake box, I also found a lock of hair that I think must have belonged Mm -hmm. to this little girl because it was with a poem about losing a child Mm -hmm. at an early age. So my grandmother, this vague woman that I hardly knew, put her heart away in a wooden box. And just that was all she could do. So moving. So moving. So it just says to us to take the time, even though we want to go really fast through these papers, to yes. take the time. There are this, these stories that connect us with our past and mm-hmm. with who our ancestors are and were. And for heaven's sake, as you and I were saying earlier, to take the time to talk with them, if and when they're still alive, to take the time to talk with the older people and to encourage them to describe specific times in their life. There was a moment in my life, I was um, in my late teens, and I was a chauffeur of my grandmother and her three sisters, and I drove them all around these places that they had grown up and visiting these people, and I can't believe I would sleep while they were telling all these stories, and it's a deep, deep regret on my part, that I didn't pay attention. I thought, oh, it's just old folks just talking. And these were stories that had never come out before because the four sisters were together again, and they were in their late 70s at that time. Wow. Wouldn't you like to have just one of those days back? (laughs) I would love to have one of those. So a cautionary tale for us to draw those stories out from our living relatives. Listen before it's too late. Listen before it's too late. So what advice would you have for people as they start to sort through not only their own households, but maybe the households of their parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, 
So often people are doing this under duress because someone has just died and they have to go there for two days and try to do it all. If, if there's any alternative to trying to do it all, I mentioned that my mother, uh, in her wisdom, had had my sister and me divide the furniture while she was still alive and was watching us and had us make lists of who got what. If you do that in advance while people are still alive and this was promised to this person and that was promised to that person, it all gets taken care of and it, there's not the bitterness afterwards that some people have told me they're experiencing. That's one thing you can do. If there's time, and I know it's hard because we are nomads and we live all over the country and the world, but if there's time to have family reunions, one woman told me that every time someone turns 80 in her family, they get the whole family together and they all tell the stories. And even if it's a story that they've heard before, the younger people get to hear the stories. To celebrate old age would be a great thing in this culture and the stories. (laughs) Beautiful. I love that. That's a super piece of wisdom, I think. Uh, Hopefully our listeners will take that in and act on it. And, you know, we can overcome the fact that we live in different places. I know it's a nuisance and we have to get on a plane and it's expensive. Just let's get past all of that and, and try to spend more time listening. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's been lovely. I've been here with Lisa Tracy. She is the author of Objects of Our Affection. If you'd like to be in touch with Lisa, you can go to her website, objectsofouraffection.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. Please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.